The chroniclers of fake holidays have decided that August 8th is Happiness Happens Day. And I'd like to know if there's a way to measure this elusive quantity, or if it even actually exists. The Declaration of Independence aspires to allow everyone to pursue this emotion, but there are no guarantees. For some, happiness is simply being heard. Charlottesville community engagement is an inanimate construct with no feelings, but there is a sense of satisfaction with each completed edition. On today's program, City Manager Sam Sanders names a new deputy for operations and promotes the interim fire chief to the top position. Abamara wants your input on potential changes to county policy on wireless towers that could make them more prevalent. The Virginia Department of Transportation wants to know your suggestions and thoughts about making mobility safer in two specific areas on the border of Albemarle and Charlottesville. Albemarle County has not found any problems so far in its plans to purchase 462 acres near Rivanna Station, and City Manager Sam Sanders announces he's playing a mediating role as Stony Point Development Group seeks to build a third phase of Dairy Market on Preston Avenue. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, let's learn a little about a nonprofit group that plays a major role to keep the Jefferson Madison Regional Library going strong. Friends of JMRL plays an important role in the slightly Byzantine structure of library budgets. Proceeds from the popular semi-annual book sale go to pay for children's, teen, and adult programs. The five jurisdictions that make up JMRL pay for facilities, salaries, and operational costs. State aid funds the collection acquisition for all materials, physical and digital. The federal E-rate program pays for equipment purchases, and Friends of JMRL raises funds for all sorts of activities. That includes the Library Endowment, in conjunction with the Charlottesville Albemarle Community Foundation that awards money to special efforts such as the NAACP Scholarship, as well as grants to out-of-area patrons to cover the $30 fee for residents of non-member localities. Visit jmrlfriends.org to learn more and find out how you can get involved. The empty seat for Deputy City Manager for Operations in Charlottesville did not stay vacant long. City Manager Sam Sanders has appointed Stephen Hicks as the replacement for the position that Sanders held for two years before getting the top position. Sanders has also named Interim Chief Michael Thomas as the permanent head of the Charlottesville Fire Department. Hicks is a former town administrator of Front Royal Virginia, who has worked for the city as a senior transportation project manager for a few months. He's also been town manager of Selma, North Carolina. Stephen has over 30 years of experience in state and local government, including time with VDOT. So he'll spend uh, a great deal of energy working on all the many things that I used to come and talk to you about. Uh, but he'll have better answers, I'll tell you that now. Hicks starts work in the new position tomorrow. Since working for the city, Sanders has been working to get transportation projects moving. There's a link to two articles in the newsletter. Michael Thomas has been serving as interim fire chief since last October, following the resignation of Hezadine Smith. Thomas had been with the Lynchburg Fire Department before starting work as a deputy chief for risk reduction in June of 2022. Uh, he's been a stabilizing force for the department, and I did ask the chief if he would say a few words, so I'll give him his moment. I'm humbled and excited about the opportunity to continue to lead the Charlottesville Fire Department as the fire chief. 
I've learned a lot over the last 10 months as the inter in the interim role, <clears throat> and I'm committed to the community and equally committed to the department members. This is a time of change in Albemarle County, as long-held policies related to how development occurs in the rural area are getting a fresh look. Since 2000, Albemarle has had a policy that cell towers be as invisible as possible for aesthetic reasons. The county has hired cityscape consultants to review those rules to see how they might be amended to allow for construction of more towers to provide greater coverage and reliability. Potential ideas include allowing more height at some locations and downplaying the role that visibility plays in site approval. In June, the Albemarle County Planning Commission reviewed the work to date at a work session. Now, the county is seeking public input in a survey that runs through August 25th. Here's a section from the Engage Albemarle website. We want to know what concerns you face with wireless internet connections and cell phone service, as well as your feedback on potential changes to current cell tower regulations. The website has links to the materials that have been made available so far, including the presentations from that June work session. There is a lot of growth happening across the entire region, and there is endless planning work intended to inform the next set of projects to build infrastructure to handle all of the traffic. At any given point, the Virginia Department of Transportation has multiple studies underway to come up with the next group of candidate projects for funding. Many of these are now visible through the agency's Project Pipeline website, including two that affect Albemarle and Charlottesville. The first pipeline is for Barracks Road between Georgetown Road and US-29. Here's a section from that project page. This study will focus on improving roadway safety and enhancing multimodal accessibility and connectivity for pedestrians, bicyclists, and transit users. The second pipeline study covers Ivy Road and the old Ivy Road corridor, as well as the interchange with US-29. Earlier this year, Albemarle supervisors approved a rezoning for 525 units on undeveloped land on Old Ivy Road. Many nearby residents had argued existing conditions are bad enough, and more people would mean more possibilities that people would get hurt. Shortly before that rezoning on March 1st, VDOT had presented conceptual plans with several ways to reconfigure some of the various intersections to move more traffic through, but these were met with opposition. Here's a section from the project page for the Old Ivy Project. VDOT greatly appreciates the recent engagement with the community on the possible transportation solutions in the Ivy Road and Old Ivy Road corridors and recognizes that recent transportation studies in this area gathered significant public input. The two surveys will close on August 18th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out. On August 10th, Livable Seaville and Charlottesville United for Public Education are co-hosting a webinar on a very important topic as the school year looms. The event will feature Ben Chambers, transportation planner for the city of Charlottesville, and Amanda Corman, community relations liaison for Charlottesville City Schools. This webinar will provide Charlottesville City Schools, family, and staff with information about transportation as the new school year begins. There will be a question and answer period at the end. Sign up today for this free event, and thank you to the Patreon person 
who signaled this shout out. Two stories in this second half of the program. Abamar continues to conduct a full review of what further actions may need to be taken if a planned $58 million purchase of 462 acres near Rivanna Station goes through. On May 24th, the Board of Supervisors authorized the acquisition pending due diligence. They got an update at the August 2nd meeting of the Board of Supervisors, and here is Deputy County Executive Trevor Henry. We're assessing, you know, in-the-ground infrastructure. We're assessing environmental. Uh, we're we're assessing leases, um, um, title reports, um, infrastructure that is that is out of the ground, and um, so far so good. Henry said the county is in pretty good shape as it determines if the land will allow enough buildable space to pursue what they're calling the Intelligent Community Innovation Acceleration Campus. The firm Line and Grade is conducting much of the work for Albemarle County, and they've completed such tasks as mapping soils and drainage areas, seeing if there are any threatened or endangered species, and coming up with a conceptual road layout. There's also a check to see if there are any significant remnants of human activity. Blake Aplanap is Albemarle's Chief of Facilities Planning and Construction. One thing that's of particular uh, significance from a cultural standpoint is there is an existing cemetery, the Pritchett Cemetery there, and um, that was studied by our archaeological consultant who happens to be the same uh, firm that did the work over at the courts, and they are recommending that we maintain as best we can a 50-foot buffer between any kind of development and the cemetery. Albemarle County, as the owner of the cemetery, would have to provide access to that land to any descendants who wanted to visit. There are also two earthen dams on the property that the county would also own and need to be maintained and potentially upgraded. From an engineering due diligence standpoint, all the things that we've been examining Uh, the risks associated with liabilities are very low on this property. There is also one rental home on the property. The next update to supervisors will be on September 6th, including more details on how Albemarle will pay for the land. Here's Jacob Sumner, the county's acting finance director. At that point in time, we'll bring forward uh, bond resolutions that we will ask the the board to take action on. And that really um, starts the the formal process to issuing the, the bond anticipation notes. Those notes will be issued by the Albemarle Economic Development Authority, and that will be at their September 19th meeting. The firm Stony Point Development Group is rethinking their plans to proceed with a land use application for the third phase of their dairy market development. I reported the basic details in the July 12th edition of this newsletter and followed up with a Seville Weekly article the following week. Stony Point Development Group held a community meeting on July 7th that reportedly got a little contentious. There are articles in the newsletter to accounts in Seville Weekly and the Charlottesville Daily Progress. City Manager Sam Sanders brought the topic up at the beginning of last night's City Council meeting. Matters of the community are important matters to me. And as I watched the uh, meeting, I became alarmed, so I'll share that with you all that are here to speak in this particular matter. Um, uh, There were a number of things that did not sit well with me as well. 
Sanders said he has met with Chris Henry of Stony Point Development Group to share his concerns, not only about what was presented, but how it was presented. So I did share with him that I would definitely like to continue a conversation with him as he has indicated he would continue to engage with the residents. And I look forward to hearing that the residents are feeling as though that that uh, line of communication remains open. Uh, And as he decides to move forward on his project, I've stressed to him that I do believe it is important for a community benefits agreement to be considered. Such community benefits agreements could be more common in this community and are worth learning about in the future. There's something similar in the works for Woodard Properties' redevelopment of 501 Cherry Avenue. Several members of the public spoke about Dairy Market at Council's meeting last night. That includes Gloria Beard of Page Street. Now I want to know why are all of these contractors allowed to come into Charlottesville to build these high-rise apartments and houses that uh, cost an arm and a leg. The one I'm most concerned about is the dairy market. Beard accused Stony Point Development Group of making false claims to the neighborhood about setting some units as affordable when the first phase was going through the process in 2018. Well, he set aside four, and an efficiency is $1,200, and they don't accept vouchers. Under the proposed zoning code, what Stony Point Development Group wants to do could be done by right, but would fall under inclusionary zoning rules that would require 10% of the units to be affordable as defined by the city. The Legal Aid Justice Center is headquartered nearby in the same intersection, and one of their representatives also spoke out against Dairy Market's third phase. Here's Elaine Poon, Deputy Director of Advocacy for the Legal Aid Justice Center. In the early 2000s, the Legal Aid Justice Center, we went and looked for a home with the explicit intention to be embedded in the community that we served and to be accessible to low-income clients. First, we fled West Main Street. Then, we fled the downtown mall to escape the rapid influx of expensive shops and restaurants that our clients could not afford. Poon said the current location is perfect for Legal Aid Justice Center, but the dairy market's renovation has accelerated displacement. We are now renting from a church down the street so that we can make sure that our clients have parking when they come for their appointments. There are virtually no affordable lunch options for our staff within walking distance, and this expansion will make things worse. Meanwhile, properties in the 10th and Page neighborhood continue to trade at high levels, fueling concerns of displacement. These can be observed anecdotally in my property transaction summaries that are available on InfoSeville. Here's a preview of one from June that's not yet written up. A two-bedroom house in the 900 block of Page Street sold on June 27th for $515,000. That's 56.16% over the 2023 assessment of $329,800. The previous sale had been on October 1st, 2012, when a couple bought it for $108,000. They transferred it to an LLC in 2021 and made quite a profit, didn't they? More on Dairy Market and the Zoning Code in future editions of Charlottesville Community Engagement. To the podcast listener, if you would like to uh, be able to see those property transactions first, please do consider a paid subscription. Then you will get a first look. Now, this is a last look at episode number 563, and I am back in Charlottesville for an extended stay with one eye toward a return to just outside Philadelphia, where my parents now reside. 
Each of us has lives affected by decisions made by our family. I chose to dedicate my work to this community, Charlottesville, and will continue that regardless of how much time I actually spend here. There's a lot happening here, and my mission for three years now has been to write what I can, when I can. Paid subscribers of this newsletter help me keep on task and mission. The best way to do that yourself is through Substack, where your $5 a month, $50 a year, $200 a year really goes a long way to keeping me in business and thinking about expansion. And if you would like to help, Ting will match your initial payment. You know about that right now. There are also links to a new Vraki track in the newsletter. That new track is not in this episode, but soon Patreon listeners will hear a special edition of the notes that were that features all of those tracks. Some reason why. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.